Hello and welcome listeners to Decisive Point, our new podcast series for the U.S. Army War College Press. The Decisive Point gets to the heart of the matter with interviews with some of our most distinguished authors. Today, our distinguished guest is Dr. Jacqueline Deal. She is the author of a special commentary analyzing the Chinese military's use of propaganda against political leaders, U.S. political leaders. Her commentary will appear in the autumn issue of Parameters. Currently, Dr. Deal is the president and CEO of Long-Term Strategy Group. She is also a senior fellow at the Foreign Policy Research Institute. Welcome to Decisive Point, Jackie. Thanks very much, Tony. It's great to speak with you today, and it's always wonderful to work with you and to reach the readers of Parameters and the Army War College and broader Army community. So thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. So um, while China's use of media propaganda is well known, your commentary focuses on a series of graphic media cartoons that appear on the website of the People's Liberation Army or PLA. Why did you choose that angle as a subject for your commentary? Thank you for the question. I think it's safe to say that people by now have heard about the wolf warrior turn in Chinese diplomacy, wherein PRC diplomats are taking much more aggressive, if not openly hostile, stances toward the United States, Australia, Sweden, Canada, the UK, etc. Uh, many Western countries, many U.S. allies have been targeted in tweets on Twitter and in speeches, op-eds, and other public venues. But I hadn't seen any commentary on the PLA's participation in this trend. Normally, when you look at the PLA's website or you read the paper, you find fairly dry, if self-congratulatory, fair. Um, you find cheerleading for realistic training exercises that, quote, hold high the banner of Xi Jinping's latest guidance, where you see a picture of some new piece of hardware that's supposed to be advanced and impressive looking. You find stories about the selflessness or toughness of individual soldiers or units that work hard in adverse conditions, such as high altitudes or very cold climates. Um, also, you find the occasional theoretical piece about how technology trends are changing warfare, but it's unusual to see such direct attacks on the United States, much less illustrated with insulting graphics depicting the US president. So that really got my attention. And in a way, I think it's reassuring that these graphic and rhetorical attacks didn't make much of an impact here in the United States. I guess that means we didn't see them as much of a threat. On the other hand, when a nuclear armed major power competitor sees fit to engage in that kind of messaging on the homepage of its military, a homepage which explicitly says that it is authorized by the Central Military Commission of China, of the Chinese Communist Party, of which General Secretary Xi Jinping is the chair, then perhaps it at least presents a useful opportunity for us to try to reverse engineer or deconstruct our competitors' int intentions. So that's the argument of the commentary. We can learn from these PLA daily attacks, and they might even have not only misfired and that they fell on deaf ears here, but maybe they backfired and that they suggest that it would be fair game for the U.S. Defense Department and military uh, to start or expand uh, its targeting of the PLA with its own strategic information campaigns. Great. Um, so also in the commentary, you discuss the significance of, and I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce this, Jun Sheng, a pen name. You revealed that this is a homonym for the voice of the military. What is the role of this person or people behind the pen name? Well, pen names, pseudonyms, and homophones 
for terms such as voice of China or voice of the military seem to be used in official PRC media outlets to signal that the author of a piece is a writing team from a particular organ of the party state, likely associated with the body that is in charge of the outlet in which the piece appears. So for the PLA Daily, that would be the Central Military Commission. Uh, pen names go back a long way in modern China. A hundred years ago, the people would go on to found the Chinese Communist Party before the party had officially even been formed. The original Chinese communists wrote under pen names in the late 19-teens and early 1920s. And in the Cultural Revolution from the mid-60s through the mid-70s, which is obviously a period of intense factional strife, uh, these pen names were used to represent the views of particular factions. One theory is that the pen names are meant at once to facilitate or convey factional points of view and at the same time conceal the contours of debates from broader public view because only the party insiders or elites know which people or bodies are associated with particular pen names and opinions being expressed. Another theory is that more recently in the reform and so-called reform and opening up period of China, as the media has opened up, uh, as there have been not just quasi commercial, but now um, social media outlets for people, it's been harder for the official media to get attention or to stand out. And so again, one theory is that the official outlets um, use these pen names to say, this is not some run-of-the-mill article or boilerplate propaganda. This is, in quotes, someone or some important group talking, or this is an especially important message. And the two academic studies of this topic of, of pen names, homophones, um, that exist in English that I cite in the commentary, one is from China Quarterly in 2013, and another is from Asia Policy in 2018. They conclude that these homophonous pen names are authoritative. They seem to have more staying power, in fact, these days, because in the Cultural Revolution period, they were just used for short periods, whereas now the pen names are sticking around for years. As for Jun, well, sorry, Junsheng, the name, or Junsheng is the pen name byline uh, whose late May PLA Daily series I analyze in the commentary. That pen name first appeared at the beginning of January 2017, 1 January 2017. And it seems to correspond to a pen name in the CCP's official flagship newspaper, the People's Daily. So it might be the PLA Daily equivalent of the People's Daily pen name that's similar. So the Junsheng is voice of the military. It's a homophone for voice of the military. And the P People's Daily one is a homophone for voice of China. It's also a homophone for ring the alarm bell or sound the alarm bell. So that's interesting. The initial column that introduced this pen name said, at the beginning of the new year, we are introducing a new byline to readers. We will slowly unfold a global map to analyze hotspots and points to look out for from the perspective of PRC soldiers. We will focus on the wave of world military reforms, et cetera. We will send a frank and sincere voice to the world. In the international discourse system, there will always be some stubborn and even paranoid, absurd murmurs, which are difficult to remove and change what we will do is to further declare and clarify the firm will to maintain peace. So that's kind of the purpose or mission statement of this homophone pen name. The message seems to be about international issues and to speak to or compete in the so-called international discourse system. And yet the point about being from the perspective of PRC soldiers is interesting because one of the early Junsheng pieces from 2017 sends good wishes to Chinese soldiers who are abroad during the Chinese New Year. 
And that piece mentions PLA participation in peace forces in Mali, anti-piracy operations in the Gulf of Aden, and in foreign medical aid to Zambia. So perhaps to the extent that this pen name is involved in an internal debate, it's over the extent and utility of having the PLA stationed overseas. Recall that 2017 is also the year that the first official PLA overseas support facility or naval base was opened in Djibouti. Junsheng seems to justify the PLA's interests and presence overseas. Other pieces since 2017 have promoted the Belt and Road Initiative, attacked Prime Minister Abe in Japan, promoted the PRC's unique role in the Korean Peninsula. And the fact that the Junsheng uh, pieces come out, came out as a series is striking, because I believe that this late May series is the first time the pen name, that byline, has published a series. As I write in the commentary, each article in the series appears to have a different theme or point of attack on the U.S. response to COVID-19, but there's a common thread. Each article goes after, quote, some or certain American politicians and threatens the United States with dark consequences of our behavior in the aftermath of the virus, especially the fact that we've traced the virus to China and criticized the PRC's handling of it. So now the voice or writing team that rationalizes the PLA's international role is attacking the United States rhetorically and graphically. So as I write in the commentary, I think the theme of blaming some people in our system actually fits in with a longstanding PLA tradition of, quote, enemy disintegration work or trying to prepare the battlefield by weakening the enemy from within. In this case, the goal seems to be to exacerbate divisions within the US political class over how, how to handle the PRC in the wake of COVID and more broadly. Yeah, and uh, well, thank you for correcting my pronunciation. Um, but if I could get you to discuss enemy disintegration operations that term a little bit more for our listeners, that would be great. Sure. Um, enemy disintegration operations have a deep history in um, PRC history. They go back to the founding era, the revolutionary era, and the concept was you can defeat the adversary by weakening it from within. You don't necessarily have to win on the battlefield alone. You can prepare the battlefield uh, by making sure that your opponent is divided. You can recruit the opponent's um, key officers, personnel. You can work to um, reduce the opponent's mobilization capacity by acting to aggravate divisions within the enemy camp. There's a number of steps that you can take in, I guess, what we would call phase zero that actually make it more likely that you'll prevail if and when it comes to fighting. And this is a PLA responsibility um, that is touted. It's considered one of the PLA's magic weapons. The lifeblood uh, is a term that comes up. Um, so it's, it's still today very relevant in PLA daily uh, articles, in Chinese military theory and discourse. Um, it's a serious responsibility or mission of the PLA. And that's not to say that the PLA is the only actor within the CCP or the Chinese party state that engages in efforts of political warfare to shape views abroad, uh, to shape the posture of competitors. There are other party entities, the United Front Work Department, international, uh, the International Department, liaison offices uh, for the party that work actively to shape foreign views and foreign posture toward the mainland, but the PLA has a prominent role as well. 
Um, and I wanted to make sure that readers understood that because the PLA Daily pieces that I was focusing on in the piece seemed to um, be part of a kind of political warfare information campaign. And then what I said is, I don't actually think we have to respond symmetrically, and I wouldn't want to recommend that, but the fact that the PLA is engaged means that we can reciprocate in some way in, in the way of our choosing, at the time of our choosing, in the place. Uh, the Pentagon or the US military um, can, can respond, even if you don't buy the idea that Jun Sheng is focused on justifying the PLA's overseas presence, it's definitely distinct from other PLA daily pen names that are associated with coverage of internal matters, such as PLA modernization or fighting corruption within the PLA. Jun Sheng is definitely aimed at promoting the PRC's strategic objectives, both with regard to explaining them for domestic audiences and increasingly, it seems, for shaping foreign views as well. So if the PLA or the Central Military Commission on behalf of the PLA is engaging in information campaigns to shape our perspective, and the views of relevant third parties internationally about what the PRC is up to, what can we do? I guess the natural target for the US Defense Department or for information operations from the Pentagon would be the PLA itself, as the Defense Department presumably has a comparative advantage in that area with assets and resources devoted to understanding the shape and capabilities of the PLA to include its weaknesses or its vulnerabilities. While I'm sure that we have some insights that we prefer not to disclose, Others are common knowledge. It's well publicized in both Mandarin and English that PLA veterans regularly launch mass protests in China, for instance. It's well publicized in both languages that in 2017, the PLA scrapped its National Defense Student Program, a reserve officer training program for students at civilian universities, which had been started in 1998. So as I suggest in the commentary, why not broadcast at least the question of whether there might be serious issues with PLA recruiting and morale? We're already accused all the time by the CCP of trying to quote unquote westernize and divide the PRC from within. So disclosing or rebroadcasting publicly available information isn't gonna change that equation. And this sort of information effort could have potentially competitively useful effects in terms of the PRC domestic context, economic inequality there is at an all time high and the Chinese Communist Party justifies its privileges and its requisitions on the grounds that it has advanced the Chinese nation and is uniquely positioned to protect it. So if we highlight big problems or weaknesses with the PLA, that would signal uh, to the CCP that for all their bluster, the United States isn't intimidated. Also, the Chinese people have a right to know that their suffering and sacrifices at the hands of a rapacious, repressive party state have been in vain or for naught. And that could lead to questions or recriminations that would frankly be justified. Finally, the disclosures would also signal to relevant third parties that the US military retains its edge and just as important, its confidence and its resolve. Just to underscore, this wouldn't have to involve disclosures based on any kind of sensitive sources of information. There's plenty of material out in the open in Mandarin and in the work of journalists and PLA watchers in allied countries, as well as in our own country in the United States. So it would just be a question of picking up on and maybe amplifying, amplifying those data sources with a competitive mindset or to achieve competitive effects for the US. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. Unfortunately, I think we're just about out of time now. Um, but Jackie, thank you for sharing your insights with us today. It's been a pleasure as always. Um, and I know our listeners will find your special commentary very engaging. For now, all you listeners, um, I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Decisive Point. Thank you very much. <laughs>